Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're always glad to have our thousands of listeners on each show. Either they're listening live or they download it uh, every week. So we're excited to get information out to them. We're going to be talking with Brad Holcomb today, who is the committee chair for the ISM's Report on Business. We're also going to be talking with Chris Keel, who is an economist with the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. Chris always talks about the credit manager, manager's report and adds a little sense of humor into it in what's happening in the economy. But before we get to our guests, let me speak with my co-host, Lou Weiss. Lou, what's happening in New Jersey and last week's show and this week's show, and we even have a, a special show on Wednesday with Anthony Diaz. Yeah, I, I, I got to ask you, how does an economist have a sense of humor? Chris here, he has a sense of humor. I, I don't get it. I don't know how that happens. But he is funny, and I know that our listeners do enjoy them because we've gotten a bunch of emails about it and so on and so forth. So that being said, let me get right into our postscript for last week's show. Uh, we had two uh, what I thought was really uh, phenomenal guests. Uh, one of them uh, wrote a book that uh, I actually sat down and read over the weekend, which was great. Uh, Andrea Olson from Pragmatic. She's the author of No Disruptions, The New Future for Mid-Market Manufacturing. Uh, Andrea is uh, inspiring and educationing uh, in industrial business leaders on how to transform their outlook and approach to marketing. And, and I have to tell you that uh, I did read the book and, uh, you know, we have uh, All Metals and Forge Group, and I saw much of All Metals and Forge Group, the company, in her book with regards to uh, people, employees, customers, and so on. And I've actually uh, bought a bunch of copies, and I've distributed them to our uh, management team and made it required reading. So um, they're going to be reading it, uh, I'm sure, by next weekend. But it was really phenomenal <laughs> stuff. And I even called uh, Andrea the other day, and I said, you know, great stuff, love it, and we got to have you back on the show. She really did a great job in relating to uh, the manufacturing sector of all the things that you do not hear on mainstream media. That being said, we also had uh, Scott Holler from MS Companies. Scott's a senior VP and chief operating officer. He oversees all aspects of MS Companies operations, which spans uh, nearly 300,000 strong talent pool from more than 900 customers in 14 states. And uh, very interesting, very smart guy. And uh, both are really very valuable people to listen to their stories for uh, manufacturing and all of our manufacturing audiences who don't have time because they're busy making widgets, take out the extra half hour, 45 minutes, an hour, listen to our show. I'm telling you, you can't miss it. We, we have over 200 shows, and I'm not 
suggesting you listen to all 200 of them over the, this coming weekend, but I think you really need to listen to it because we have some great stuff being said. Uh, news. Uh, we, there's always news, and it always seems to have a lot to do with President Trump. And we, uh, we have uh, some interesting points. The National Association of Manufacturers, who we are very closely related to, and uh, matter of fact, uh, uh, Chad Moutre, who's uh, the economist for um, and, uh, manu- uh, NAM, is a regular on our show, and we're always pleased to have him on. Um, the National Association of Manufacturers this past Thursday uh, unveiled a digital and print ad campaign thanking the president, Donald Trump, for his commitment to manufacturers by addressing our nation's regulatory burden on during the, his first 100 days. NAM's president and CEO, Jay Timmons, is quoted as saying, in his first 100 days, Trump has kept his promise to manufacturers in the United States in a historic way. That's why 93% of manufacturers surveyed by NAM are positive in their outlook on the economy, a 20-year high. That's really quite incredible. And uh, my hat goes off to NAM, and uh, I also would like to convey my thanks to uh, the President uh, Trump for his involvement with uh, manufacturing, which our past presidents of recent time really hasn't done. They've, and meanwhile, the media still doesn't do that, but we're part of the media that does. So thank you all for your participation in that. Um, next, uh, and a lot of this has to do with, uh, again, uh, the administration and what they're doing. Uh, it seems as though that uh, uh, NAFTA has had a major impact on the American economy in these decades that have passed. They were signed in many negotiations with certain industries. The article that uh, I had read uh, identifies automation, medical devices, textile apparel, and agriculture as key sectors that NAFTA impacts. Um, and that's really a significant uh, component uh, for the U.S., Canada, and uh, Mexico. And from my latest understanding, uh, Mr. Trump, President Trump, is not going to dump NAFTA, but he's going to renegotiate with Canada, those nice people to the north, and our Mexican friends to the south. Uh, I can't imagine why Mr. Trump was picking on the Canadians, these are really nice people, and what can I tell you? So we'll just move on from that, because I don't want to get in trouble with uh, Mr. Tim Grady here. Um, Trump opens up an aluminum trade investigation having to do with the fact that um, the, the influx of foreign aluminum is damaging U.S. manufacturers severely enough to threaten our national security. I'm not real clear on that because I've been in the metals industry now for 54 years, and I'm not really sure I understand how aluminum is going to affect our national defense issues. Um, My understanding uh, of current numbers that have been put out that the total uh, import 
of uh, metal raw materials into this country is only 2%. So I don't know how 2% is going to affect our national security. But I'll leave that to some of the more professional um, uh, media people to go figure that one out. Uh, going forward, uh, job creation needs a jump start, a jump start in our new economy. Um, uh, Mr. Chambers and Doors argue that we need to invest heavily into the STEM education, which we agree with. Tim and I, we've been involved with NJIT and others about the, uh, the, the, the education level that we need to bring to the young people and career change people that we have to bring STEM in full force so that the mid-career workers and young people can buy into um, getting into the manufacturing field. NATP is concerned with the parent trap about um, going to college uh, and getting right into the American way of building debt immediately at the age of 21, 22 years of age. Maybe we need to really push this point, and uh, we hope to be part of that, and we've been doing that now for three and a half years. And I know Tim and I have really enjoyed being involved in this to get this out to uh, the, the, the parents, the students, and those who need to understand that college may not necessarily be the only career path. Um, so... Based on that, I really don't want to get on a rant because I got about 10 other things that I can get crazy with. So I'm going to just uh, leave it at that. And uh, I think that all of you understand, and you've been listening to Tim and I now for the last three years about these very same topics. And uh, I think that uh, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, it may not be long before our listeners begin to hear a bit more of our passion on the show about manufacturing and what's going well and what needs to go better. I may yet become John McLaughlin in my older years. Uh, I mean, he was 90 <laughs> when he died, and unfortunately he did miss one show in his whole career, and it was the Sunday that he died that he wasn't on his own TV show. So... I'm going to stick it out to the very end, to the very last show, and that's the story. Uh, also, uh, we have a, a special show uh, today with our uh, special guest, but I also want to mention that we have a special show on Wednesday, uh, the Wednesday after the Tuesday, and we're going to have Tony, sorry, Anthony Nieves, who is the committee chair for non-manufacturing report, and uh, it's looking like these numbers are going to be uh, very good again. I'm a little concerned uh, what Mr. Brad Holcomb and uh, Chris uh, Keel is going to say, because I think that we may wind up hitting a little bump, and we may tick down a, a notch or two, but Tim, we'll just have to find out what they have to say. So I'm going to leave it at that. It's all yours. And by the way, 
I'm not going to be in the rest of the show because I have an event that I have to leave, and uh, I'm going to be off-site. So um, enjoy the show, and uh, I'm gone. Yeah, okay, Lou, thanks for being with us. Lou's got a remote to do, so he is going to be uh, off-site, and we will continue on with Brad Holcomb and Chris Keel. So let's get right to our guests. We're here with Brad Holcomb, who's the committee chair for the ISM's report on business for the manufacturing sector. Brad has been on our show since November of 2013, and this is uh, a wrap-up show for him because he is retiring, and he has a gentleman by the name of Timothy Fiore who will take over this spot. But, Brad, welcome back again to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Well, it's been a pleasure over the years to uh, be on your show to help spread the news about manufacturing and how well we're doing in particular. And in this month in particular, your report looks very good. I'm going to uh, let you jump into it, but uh, mention to the listeners that it's taken a whole new look. So you might want to go to instituteforsupplymanagement.org and look up the new report look. Brad, go ahead, please. Yes, uh, we have refreshed uh, the uh, the look of the report a little bit. The contents are the same. Uh, good, solid, in-depth reporting on uh, 18 different sectors of manufacturing and a lot of different dimensions of uh, how they're doing this year. And we'll cover you know many of these in the next half hour. But let's start at the 50,000-foot level. The April PMI registered a solid 54.8, and all five sub-indexes were above 50 in growth territory. <clears throat> Excuse me. 16 of 18 industries reported PMI growth, 16 also new orders growth, and 17 growth in production. Uh, and here's an interesting uh, statistic for uh, for the PMI itself, each month of 2017 so far is higher than any month of 2016. So once again, we're off to a, a very strong start in manufacturing. And uh, manufacturing often leads the economy statistically, so good things uh, could very well lie ahead on a broader scale. <clears throat> great, great. And that number, did you mention what the PMI number actually is, Brad? It's 54.8. Uh, last month it was 57.2. Um, so it's down 2.4 percentage points, but again, a very solid number in the mid-50s, nearly at 55, uh, showing growth in, in our manufacturing sector now for eight consecutive months. And as I said, in particular, the first four months of this year are better than any month of last year. So, um, you know, it's a very good month. And, you know, I want to take this opportunity before I forget that in three weeks from today, on May 22nd, I believe it is, we will be reporting from Orlando at the ISM International Conference our semi-annual report update for the year 2017. So stay tuned for that. 
and I'm pretty excited about the special questions that we've asked uh, this time. Uh, we coordinate with uh, with other, you know, financial organizations such as the Fed uh, in Washington to collaborate on special questions of timely interest. And uh, we have uh, asked our panel to to give us their take on these special questions. So stay tuned uh, for that. And just Brad, continuing without, without with, revealing what the answers are, um, can you share with our listeners what the special questions were? Uh, yes, the the special questions were, um, you know, of the of the you know from the post election, you know, in this post election period. You know, mm-hmm. what are the dimensions of the Trump agenda that are uh, exciting the business community? And and some of the answers would be, you know, tax reform, uh, reduced regulation, and so on. So we'll hear from the, the panel of 350, both on my side, 350, and another 350 on, on Tony's side on non-manufacturing, you know, what what uh, is getting them excited about this year. So, so that is, is, is one of the questions and uh, you know, stay tuned for the other. I think there are five or six special questions this time. We, we kind of went overboard because, you know, it feels like a, you know, a new economic environment. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to let you kind of walk our listeners through the various sections of this report, starting with new orders. Uh, that one, that one didn't roll up as high. I don't want to say it took a dip. Uh, I know a lot of the people well, refer to this as falling. It, it rolled up just to a, a still a healthy number. But go ahead, Brad. Well, it it is a very healthy number at 57.5, and while it's down 7%, it's down from a very high number at 64.5. We we don't often get that high over the years. So at 57.5 and with 16 of our 18 industries reporting growth in new orders and growing for the eighth consecutive month, you know, that's nothing but continuing good news. Uh, and you know we always say that new orders kind of drives the bus here, and and that's uh, reflective of consumer confidence, uh, and beyond consumer confidence, consumer activity, you know, going to the store mm-hmm. and buying things that that need to be manufactured, and uh, and then next is production. Production was actually up a point to 58.6. Again, a very strong number with 17 of our 18 industries reporting growth in production and growing for for eight consecutive to, uh, months. And if I go, if I drop down, when I, when I think about new orders in production, I have to think about the backlog of orders, you know, in the same breath. And the backlog is at 57. It's off a half a point from a very high 57.5 last month. But that represents, you know, a growing backlog. Uh, it's been growing for three consecutive months. So even though production was higher, it wasn't able to to chew into the backlog, as well as take care of new orders. So the fact that there's mm-hmm. a lot of back orders, uh, there's a lot of new orders that continue to flow, 
we'll see production continuing at, at high levels uh, and, and, you know, probably employment as well, uh, which is the next index that we'll talk about. Uh, so employment specifically is, uh, once again, above 50, growing for seven consecutive months. It's at 52. It's off 6.9% from a very strong 58.9 last month. But nevertheless, anytime we see a number over 50 and employment's at 52, that means April was stronger than March, right? More employment in April than in March. Uh, and that's been true uh, throughout the year uh, in, in each of these categories so far. So it's cumulative uh, in that sense. And Brad, do uh, supplier, your employment numbers, I'm sorry, Brad, do your employment numbers track with the employment number that comes out of the uh, Department of Labor? Uh, I know that your number comes out, your percentage comes out before their actual employment number comes out. And their employment number lumps everything together. It's not just manufacturing. But in terms of manufacturing, are these running pretty much hand in glove? Well, actually, you know, on, on page four of our report in the section, uh, you know, entitled employment, we do mention the specific statistic that we correlate with, and it's from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and their data on manufacturing employment. So we slice it, you know, pretty thin. It's not just, mm -hmm. you know, employment overall, but it's manufacturing employment. And any time our number is above 50.5, that's generally consistent with an increase in the BLS uh, data on manufacturing employment. So with, at 52, we would expect a, a good solid uh, report from uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, coming up. And once again, we are okay. a leading indicator, which is why you know, a lot of people, a lot of agencies, you know, Wall Street, the Fed, et cetera, businesses look at our numbers because they are leading indicators and give a, um, you know, a head start on, on really comprehending where the economy is. Right. Okay. okay. Uh, next on our list, um, we've covered uh, new orders, production, and employment, uh, the those three go into the PMI. The next two are employment, uh, which we also covered, actually, and supplier deliveries. Um, I should say supplier deliveries and inventories of raw materials are the final two. Supplier deliveries at 55.1, uh, down eight-tenths of a point. Uh, supplier deliveries continue to slow, which is actually good news for 12 consecutive months. When supplier deliveries are slowing, that means that suppliers are having a harder time keeping up, and that's because things are going so strongly. And, um, and then inventories at 51, up two percentage points. It's been sort of going back and forth across that 50 mark in very tight control by some, you know, highly skilled professionals managing those inventories to make sure we have enough, but not too much. And uh, so it's growing this month at 51. And that rounds out the, the top five uh, indicators in this chart that we call manufacturing at a glance. 
uh, on our overall PMI report that you can find at instituteforsupplymanagement.org. Um, and they're all above 50, which is, uh, which is very good news. So that's all additive and at equal weights into the 54.8 PMI uh, for the month of April. Now, we also good news here the mm-hmm. uh, customer inventories, right? Yes, uh, that's next on our list. We cover several other indicators. They don't go directly into the PMI, but they're all very you know, relevant as we try to understand where the manufacturing economy and economy as a whole is. So customer inventories at 45.5, down a point and a half from last month. Anytime you're below 50, it's those customer finished goods inventories uh, from manufacturing are considered too low. And um, this time it's too low, sort of faster than last month, uh, you know, off a point and a half. That indicates a propensity for customers to to do more restocking to get back up to levels that can satisfy customers' uh, needs. Because uh, as we as we know, consumer confidence and consumer activity, you know, has been strong, uh, ultimately driving this system. So customer right. inventory is forty five point five. Next on our list is uh, prices of raw materials going into manufacturing. It's at sixty eight point five, a pretty high number, but off two two full percentage points from last month. That means prices are still increasing, but increasing at a slower pace. Uh, and a statistic that we'll cover in three weeks from today on the semi-annual report is how does this translate into uh, actual percentage price increase expectations you know, so far in the year and then for the year in total, what are the expectations relative to last year. Uh, and I can't tip my hand yet, um, but, um, you know, one of the things we've been watching for is, is prices and, uh, and how, how high they will go and is there a concern for inflation. And at this point, I have, I have no concerns, but it's certainly something to, to continue to watch. Okay. There okay. are a couple of verbatim comments from the panel uh, concerning prices and, you know, reflecting what I just said that we, we need to keep watching. One from the furniture and related products industry in particular said that business is solid, uh, but pricing pressures uh, are being felt on commodities. And an, another uh Another one indicated that, uh, let's see, well, I can't spot it immediately, but uh, there are other comments that we've seen this month uh, expressing a watchful watchful interest in in pricing. One of the special questions that we'll ask that we have asked and we'll reveal the answers in three weeks is about pricing, uh, pricing ability. In other words, if, 
if if customers, if manufacturers, I should say, are experiencing an increase in raw materials pricing, uh, do they have pricing power such that they can pass some or all of these along in the form of, uh, you know, finished goods prices and will reveal uh, what the panel thinks about that, both on the manufacturing and non-manufacturing side, you know, in three weeks. Okay. So well, stay I appreciate tuned for those, you mentioning. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I appreciate you mentioning that, Brad, because I was going to ask you that very question: it's whether or not they're in a position to pass on those prices. But we'll wait for three weeks at the ISM conference in uh, Orlando uh, on a Disney property to get those answers. But uh, I appreciate you touching on it here. Yes, uh, I did spot the the other question that had uh, some discussion about uh, pricing, and that is from the plastics and rubber products industry. No surprise there. Uh, Our business and outlook are strong. Uh, We are seeing, however, price increases from suppliers in many categories, and, and we know that. We've got, you know, a fairly long list of prices uh, that are up in terms of commodities, and and that list is in our report as well. And uh, actually, there's a list of commodities down in price as well, but there are none reported this month. And there are a couple of commodities listed in short supply, and one is electronic components because that industry is uh, is going very, very well. So electronic components has been on our list for two consecutive months in terms of uh, being in short supply and no surprise that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, there's some pricing pressure there as well. Okay. So we've talked about uh, customer inventories. We've talked about prices of raw materials. Uh, I talked a little bit about the backlog of orders at 57 that's quite high. It's been growing for three consecutive months. Uh, the backlog is there for a purpose uh, to to have uh, something to reach back for. You know, if for some reason uh, new orders uh, were were off a bit, there would be plenty of uh, a backlog, you know, to be managed and and uh, and scheduled to keep employment. At, uh, at high levels, and certainly that's the case. At 57, we've got you know high levels of the backlog. And then the last two uh, indexes that we, we we list on this table, manufacturing at a glance, you know, talk about our you know our international commerce, new export orders of largely finished goods, and then imports of raw materials. Uh, both are at uh, quite high levels, starting with new export orders at 59.5. It's up a half a point from a very strong 59 uh, last month in March. Uh, and so, you know, new export orders is growing. It's growing faster this month than last month. It's been growing for 14 consecutive months. And I, and I certainly think that the attenuation of the price of the dollar has had a, a favorable impact uh, on new export orders. But uh, the international community continues to buy American uh, because they like our products, they like our quality, 
they like the innovation, uh, and they like the variety. Uh, imports, uh, is, is, as I've mentioned, imports of raw materials that actually is a feed into our, our inventories number. Inventories went up to 51 in response to you know, new orders and production requirements. So imports is up two full percentage points uh, to 55.5 in April and growing for three consecutive months. So once again, the, the flow of commerce back and forth across the oceans uh, is pretty lively uh, at this point. Yes, it certainly is. Uh, all in all, a very favorable report. Uh, Brad, in the last six years that you have been doing the – I'm sorry, is it six or eight years that you've been doing the EMI? Yeah, yeah, six years. This, mm-hmm. this, particular, this particular report, have you seen uh, a similar pattern in any one year where you saw this kind of strength, or is this a particularly strong year so far? Well, it is a particular strong strong year. Um, you know, there have been others like, um, you know, 2014 was was you know starting off at 52.4 and you know and climbing in August to 57.9 uh, as as a peak. So, yeah, we've seen it before, and we also saw it. Um, you know, not in, in, in necessarily the first of the year, but the back half of 2012 uh, and the early, well, actually the early part of 13 uh, was going up uh, as well. So we, we've kind of seen it before, but actually this is one of the stronger upticks, uh, one of the stronger trends uh, in uh in, in the era post uh, Great Recession, if you will, and obviously right. coming out of the Great Recession, you know when you when you come out of a big hole that we dug, you know where the PMI got down to 31, 33.1 in December of two thousand and eight, then it sort of skyrocketed upwards uh, and continued, uh, you know, into you know two thousand ten. Uh, 2011, you know, quite strongly, you know, hitting a 60 mark in uh, February of 2011, and it's been a bit, a bit, you know, up and down and and cyclical since then. But we're on a very, you know, positive uh, up cycle, if you will. Now, next month, I understand that uh, uh, Timothy Fiore is. Uh, going to take over uh, your role. Uh, can you yes. give us a little uh, uh, bio on uh, Mr. Fiore? Yes, Tim is, uh, has been a colleague of mine uh, for, for several years in terms of being on uh, boards together uh, at uh, ISM and at CAPS. And uh, Tim was celebrated uh, about a year ago at the ISM conference with the Jay Shipman Gold Medal Award. Um, and I was uh, honored to receive that, uh, you know, a year prior. Uh, so he's been a chief procurement officer for, you know, his career. 
Uh, he, like I, is, is retired from industry, but, you know, very active in the profession and is, is just uh, eager to take over. And I'm so pleased to be able to, to hand the baton to someone of Tim's caliber. Well, we certainly appreciate all of the time that you have given us and all of the great information you share with our listeners on the uh, Purchasing Managers Index, the Manufacturing Report on Business. Brad, thank you so much for your contributions to Manufacturing Talk Radio and the manufacturing industry. We wish you the very best in retirement. We appreciate you being on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be able to to do this for ISM and for all of our listeners and folks that are interested in the PMI and manufacturing in general. Uh, Thanks again. It's been a pleasure. And hopefully occasionally when the future uh, uh, calls for it, we'll have you on the show uh, where maybe you can give us some uh, of the uh, feeling for the industry and things without – having to feel like uh, you have a restriction because you're talking outside the report. So we look forward to that. Excellent. that We've been speaking with Brad Holcomb, who's the committee chair for the ISM's report on business for the manufacturing sector. He's been on with us since November 4th of 2013. This was his, his final show for the report. Timothy Fiore will be taking over. We may have Brad on in the future to have some comments, but we certainly appreciate and stay tuned for more of manufacturing talk radio after this. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. Elevate your career and stay ahead of the curve with EISM. Brought to you by the Institute for Supply Management. EISM is the first on-the-go lifestyle-compatible learning initiative in the industry. It features hyper-short 15-minute modules and guided learning courses that can be completed in as few as three weeks. Just right for you or your team. It's the world's largest one-stop online learning shop for supply management. Register today at ismelearning.org. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. 
We're speaking with Chris Keel, who is with Armada Corporate Intelligence. He is also the economist for the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International. He always gives us an update on the Credit Managers Index Report, which he writes for the National Association of Credit Managers, as well as updates on some of the other economics around the world. Chris, welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Well, thank you very much. We enjoyed having you on. Your Credit Managers Index Report looks... uh, I hate to say it, absolutely rosy. <laughs> well, pretty rosy. It, it recovered from the funny month we had before. And if you remember last month, we were talking about the fact that there were really only two factors that were dragging the index down. And they can either mean that you're setting yourself up for something that gets worse or they're a little bit of an anomaly and and companies respond positively in the following month. So fortunately, we got the latter rather than the former. The two things that went haywire last month is you saw a decline in dollar collections, which is never good for a credit manager. It's like, hey, I want more money coming in, not less. And there was also some concern about slow pays where some of your better customers were saying, yeah, I know I'm supposed to pay in 30. Can I have 60? Can I have 90? And then it becomes something of a judgment call depending on how important that customer is to you. So this month, we saw dollar collections recover dramatically, uh, actually came back to levels that they had been before, and we suddenly saw a decline in slow pays. What that tells us is that companies are beginning to respond to some of the positives in the economy and don't want to be in a bad position with those whom they are seeking credit from. So they're beginning to pay off more aggressively, thus dollar collections go up, and they're not as likely to be begging for more time. If you remember for the last several months, the unfavorable factors, things like slow pays and accounts out for collection and all that kind of stuff, those have not looked as good as the favorable factors. The favorables are like dollar collections and sales and that kind of stuff. Those have all been up in the high 50s, 60s. The unfavorables have been some of them even still in the 40s, but they're just barely over 50. So there's still weakness out there, but it's so far at least slightly trending positively. Uh, Chris, it seems as though that the last couple of years, uh, that first quarter of the year uh, typically has been uh, one of the poorer uh, quarters of the year. Uh, and the second quarter is where things, uh, uh, so to speak, boom. Uh, are you seeing that as uh, as well? Is that something that oh, yeah. should be evolving? Yeah. I, yep. I think you can see it pretty clearly, particularly uh, with the latest PMI. Um, I'm sure you've talked to Brad by now, and and the PMI is not bad by any stretch, but it was 57-something, and now it's 54.2 which means you saw a little bit of a decline. And that's typical with everything else we're seeing in terms of numbers. Durable goods are down a little bit. Uh, Consumer spending has been down a little bit. Not to a crisis level, but this generally happens in the first quarter. Some of this is partly due to the fact that the statistics that we gather aren't necessarily as seasonally adjusted as they possibly could be. 
we are consistently missing what happens in the first quarter tells you that one there may be something endemic with the first quarter but it also indicates that there's something wrong with the seasonal adjustment normally what happens this time of year and it's mostly in january maybe through february is people are just worn out from the holiday season so consumers don't spend as much because they got their visa bill and it's like holy cow we spent how much on uncle frank Um, And so now they're trying to catch up and they don't spend a whole lot. By the time they get through February into March, they're beginning to relax. Some are getting their tax returns done, getting their refunds. Others have bit the bullet and paid their, their taxes. So by the time you get to April or May, people are beginning to return to normal. You know, to support the point that you're bringing out, and I have my own little indicator, that in the month of January and usually halfway into February, the restaurant restaurant business is very poor, at least here in the north. So that's an indicator that they're still sitting on their credit cards. Yep, exactly. And so what this is is a lesson to you that if you want to eat in a restaurant without being bothered by other people, go in January. (laughs) <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's Mitchell, true. I just, want to have you, I just want to have you explain to our listeners the Credit Managers Index Report. And for our listeners, it's found at NACM.org. That's the National Association of Credit Management under their news section. But you know, in the Brad report, we know that above 50 is good, above 60 it's getting overheated. What is it in your chart? Because your numbers right we're, now for the tables in the 60s. Right. We're virtually the same uh, as the PMI. As you might have noticed, alert readers will look at these and say, wow, they seem to be using a very similar methodology. It's not similar, it's identical. Um, we took advantage of the fact that the ISM people are very generous and did not make their system proprietary. So anyone who wants to use that diffusion index, they've got it all laid out for you. So we simply took advantage of the fact that credit managers are a lot like purchasing managers. Both of them have offices in the basement of the building. Neither one of them is ever paid attention to by the sea levels. um, And they just quietly go about their business and report really accurate data because they really don't have an incentive to to fudge. I mean, they just, it is what it is. I bought what I bought. Credit managers issued the credit they issue. So virtually everything that you can say about the PMI, you can say about the CMI. So again, over 50, very good. Under 50, very bad. When you get up into the 60s, you are running the risk of being a bit overheated, particularly if that's in the unfavorable factors. Now, right now, the unfavorables are just barely into the 50s, and the only place you're seeing the 60s are in the more volatile favorable sectors like sales, like accounts or applications for credit. Those can be very changeable from one month to the next and become very seasonal depending on the industry that you're looking at. We do the same thing that the ISM does in the sense that we have a manufacturing version and we have a service version, and those deviate quite a bit. Um, You get, at least in our index, 
automotive, aerospace, um, agricultural equipment sort of dominate in our index on the manufacturing side. When you look at the service side, predominantly retail, but a lot of construction and healthcare as well. Uh, Chris, let me ask you, uh, and I'm, I'm sort of reluctant to bring this up because Tim and I almost go out of our way not to bring it up, and that's bringing, bringing in politics into manufacturing and service and so on in the economy. But uh, that being said, how much of what's going on in Washington uh, with uh, President Trump and his uh, plans and uh, so on, do you feel as though may have had some effect uh, on our first quarter numbers? Yeah, I think there's been quite a bit because when you saw the reaction to the Trump victory, there was a great deal of enthusiasm and a great deal of optimism about what might happen this year. There was talk of infrastructure spending, and there was going to be tax reform, and there was going to be doing away with the ACA. We were going to change virtually everything overnight. What's happened, of course, in the last three months is people have been reminded that this is not a country that changes quickly. And so tax reform, yeah, maybe in the next two or three years. We saw what happened to the ACA. Uh, Maybe it gets changed by the end of the year, but don't bet on it. Infrastructure is stalled because no one knows where that trillion dollars is going to come from. So now we're facing the reality of, wow, things change incrementally if they change at all. And that's taken a little bit of the wind out of the sails of those who who really thought the whole world was going to change overnight. I think we're now sort of going through a reality check, and we're also realizing that we have a, a president who was an outsider and is on a pretty steep learning curve. You know, you can see with every passing week as he learns more about things, he changes his mind, which is probably a good thing. It would be nice not to have a rigid politician in there, but, you know, I'm going to kill NAFTA. No, I'm not. Um, I'm going to kill NATO. No, I'm not. Um, I'm going to dismiss the Export-Import Bank. Oh, well, now I know what the Export-Import Bank does, and it's a pretty good idea, so I think I'll keep it. And so that is keeping people a little bit – Uneasy. I mean, there was a big meeting of, of kind of the financial sector about a week ago, and they sort of came away saying, well, you know, half the stuff that he's talking about we like, half the stuff we think is ridiculous. So par for the course. I mean, that, that kind of has been every president's experience. You're not going to please everybody, um, and chances are you're going to displease everybody at some point. One of the questions that keeps uh, – Everybody concerned in manufacturing, Chris, is the skills gap. We hear all kinds of numbers, 200,000 open jobs, 200,000 open jobs, uh, can't find the people. Um, But manufacturing seems to be doing very well. Uh, Production Mm -hmm. is up. The equipment is up. Uh, I'm going to ask a a wild question. Is the skills gap really a myth? No, it's not a myth, but what you're seeing is a reaction to that shortage on the part of manufacturers. I mean, in the old days, and maybe not even so old days, manufacturers could hire people and bring them in to do certain tasks, and it was not a big deal, and there were plenty of people in the pipeline. 
Now you have a much more capital-intensive approach. Uh, businesses look for people, can't find them, and say, well, you know, 10 years ago I would not have bought robots. I would not have automated. I would not have used technology. But I can't find people anyway, so I'm going to bite the bullet and, and invest in machines. So we have seen kind of a good news, bad news scenario with manufacturing. The good news is it's more productive than ever. It is reasserting the U.S. as a manufacturing nation, but it's not creating jobs. And one of the big concerns is that in the old days, people who were just willing to work hard could go to work for a manufacturer, work their way up, make a decent living. Now there just aren't that many opportunities. If they don't have the requisite skill, they're not going to get a job. And we're now running short of people who can operate in this new automated robotic environment. And that's really where the crisis has occurred. And that's one of the reasons the businesses have been concerned about the immigration limitations, because they're saying, look, the only people we can hire that know how to run this technology are foreign because we're not training them. So if you want to cut off our access to other countries, fine, but make sure that you're creating the people we need to hire domestically, and and we don't do that. It's just at some point we're going to have to really tackle this the way, for example, the Germans have. We need to bring back apprentice programs. We need to make going into manufacturing appealing uh, to kids in high school and college, you know, we just have to change our entire mindset. And again, that's incremental. It's not going to happen overnight. And it's, and it's only going to get worse because as we've talked about before, the majority of the people who are in those skilled positions now are boomers and they're retiring. We're seeing them retire at the rate of 10,000 a day Almost 4 million boomers retire every year, and they're not being replaced. You know, you and I have talked about this before, that you see an older and older and older population working in manufacturing, people working into their late 60s, early 70s. And, you know, you can do that for a while, but sooner or later, you know, it's just people have to face reality and say, I can't, I can't do this kind of work anymore. I'm not going to face that reality. No, ever. Not me either. No, I mean, I, I fully intend to perish right in the middle of giving a talk. Um, you know. oh, can, can we put in a bid for that now? <laughs> yeah, sure. I think I think a little drama would be good. You know, I could make some yeah. really dramatic point and just, just, you know, sayonara. But, you know, we'll, we'll <laughs> go out with one final laugh. Exactly. Exactly. So, Chris, one of the areas that showed up uh, rather interestingly in the ISM report was that exports continue to do well in the face of a strong dollar. Uh, Uh I'm not quite, and I almost want to ask the people at the uh, Export-Import Bank how uh, they're doing. What's driving it? Is it just, you know, we're going to buy American because it's American and we love America? That was well, I don't know if it's, if it's quite that simple, but it has been surprising. I mean, everyone was predicting that we would see a decline in exports because of the dollar value, and it hasn't happened. The three reasons that have been circulating around um, are all somewhat connected. Number one is that 
we really are sort of the only choice for an awful lot of sophisticated manufactured goods. I mean, if you're going to buy an airplane, it's either going to be from Europe or us. It's either going to be a Boeing or an Airbus. I mean, that's just the way it is. If you're going to buy a railroad engine, it's going to be made here. Uh, same thing with road building equipment and ag machinery and all these sorts of things. We're, we're dominant. So if there's a demand for that, it's going to come from the U.S., Number two, we sort of underestimate how good American companies are at marketing their products. And we have good, solid relationships and marketing relationships around the world that can withstand a higher dollar. And then thirdly, we have to note that the dollar has not been quite as strong as it has been in past months over the last quarter. We've seen the dollar weaken a little bit. Uh, it fell after the healthcare thing didn't pass. It has wobbled on a couple of occasions. So it hasn't been quite the impediment uh, that it was expected to be or that it was last year. I don't know that we can take any of this for granted. Um, I don't know if we can extrapolate through the end of the year and say, oh, we're going to be just fine if the dollar continues to go up because the Fed raises rates two more times, we may see some pretty steady erosion when it comes to exports. But the good news is, at least for the time being, we're still strong. Our deficit would be improved, except for the fact that we're also importing as aggressively as ever. So, How are our uh, overseas customers going to be viewing buying our merchandise if and when Washington imposes the tariffs that uh, they're talking about? Well, it's going to depend a lot on, on the product, and it'll depend a lot on the country. Because what we're seeing now is kind of a, a trading perspective where we're not necessarily talking anymore about blanket tariffs. Even the thing that we're talking about with Mexico, it's like there's going to be a 20% tariff on anything coming from Mexico. Well, Within a matter of weeks, they started exempting certain products. I mean, right off the bat, I thought it was quite amusing. We exempted tequila. You know, let's <laughs> get our priorities straight. You know, Cinco de Mayo is coming up. We cannot do without tequila. So, yeah, but at the end of the day, we may end up having tariffs on auto parts. We may have tariffs on certain products. Others will be exempt. And and I think a lot of the conversation now around trade, because you're seeing a changed position on NAFTA, you're seeing a changed position on doing a trade deal with Europe, um, it's more almost a few shots across the bow, you know, the softwood lumber thing with Canada. We've been talking about doing something with Canada for, for decades, and frankly, even though the Canadians officially disapprove of this and have complained, Canada is not altogether pleased with the fact that it's the British Columbians that have set up the most aggressive subsidies and, and the rest of Canada is like, well, that's because they're a bunch of raving socialists and we don't like them anyway. <laughs> so th things get, things get complicated. <laughs> So, Chris, uh, if we're doing this well, generally the rest of the world is lifted by the U.S. activity. Mm -hmm. uh, how are places like Europe doing? Are they beginning to – I know Germany is doing well, but um, you know, the elect they have several elections coming up, and those tend to 
make things uh, nervous? How does Europe feel? Yeah, Europe is on pins and needles until the end of this weekend. Um, this will be sort of the critical moment. And if if the polls hold and Emmanuel Macron wins, um, there will be this huge sigh of relief all over Europe because it will mean that the threat to the Euro, European Union and the Eurozone will have essentially ended. If Marine Le Pen wins, then Europe is going to go into an apoplectic fit and decide that the days of the Eurozone and the EU were numbered, and, and you're going to see dramatic economic distress. It seems that Macron will win, but it's going to be a matter of turnout <clears throat> because his support is kind of lukewarm. People are comparing this to the Trump-Clinton campaign, you know, that the Trump supporters were, by God, going to show up regardless. Clinton supporters were like, eh, you know, I'm going to vote for a maybe unless there's something else going on. And, you know, I might binge watch on Netflix instead of vote. Um, and, and that's one of the concerns in France. Germany's holding its own. Everybody else is waiting to see what's happening in France. The other good news for the U.S., though, is that China is, is growing again. And not by leaps and bounds. It's probably going to hit maybe 7% this year. But at least it's not sinking. And it gives the U.S. another growth partner uh, in the world. It's not so much that we sell to China, which we don't much, but we sell to the countries that sell to China. So if they're seeing better numbers, the Australians and the Malaysians and the Japanese and the like, then we will see better numbers because then they buy more from us. I want to go back just for a moment to Mexico. And if we put tariffs on, for instance, if we put tariffs on things coming from Mexico, I think what people have to understand is a lot of what Mexico makes these days are component parts that go into finished goods here. So Mexico you know, may have to, there may be a tariff on it, but the American consumer is the one that's going to take the hit. Is that yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, that's exactly the case. And we sort of have to go back and remember what the purpose of NAFTA was in the first place, because when this was negotiated, it was a different world. We wanted something from Mexico and Canada. We wanted their oil. We wanted to make sure that that production mostly ended up in the United States. And Mexico and Canada knew that's what we needed. And they said, fine, we'll let that happen if you make it worth our while. We want to develop our own economies, particularly Mexico, wanted to get away from being dependent on commodities, tourism, and remittances from people working in the U.S. That has happened. Mexico is now a manufacturing platform. It is connected to the U.S. It has allowed the United States to be much less dependent on manufacturing from Asia. Uh, so it's really worked out to the benefit of both countries. But somewhere along the line, we decided that all of our manufacturing ills were due to Mexico, which has never been the case. Um, if, if we lost jobs, and we did, we mostly lost them to China. Um, now China is losing its jobs to Mexico, which, you know, in the great scheme of things is better for us. We don't need their oil as much, and that's why I think we're doing the renegotiating this time, is to say, look, the situation's changed. We have our own oil. We don't really need yours now, so we want a fairer trade deal. And I think really what it comes down to is, is becoming more 
sensitive and integrated across the borders so that we really do become more of a seamless system. Um, right now, we're still dealing with some vestiges of kind of the differences between levels of development, and, and that can be contended with. And if you listen to the latest talk about NAFTA, that seems to be where Trump wants to go now. You know, we're not going to kill it. We're just going to renegotiate it, which we do every year. I mean, that's, that's the nature of NAFTA is that it's constantly being reinvented. I wasn't aware that we renegotiate NAFTA every year. Yeah, we do. Um, it's it's many of the provisions are they they expire, um, and it was done deliberately so that a lot of things would not be set in stone. Uh, so that you know some things stay constant, but many of them don't. So that we can say, well, you know, three years ago that made sense. It doesn't make sense now. We need to re. And we were still trying to figure out how to handle trucking across the border and we deal with that every year so customs clearance we improve that or change it almost every year so the process of of going through a NAFTA renegotiation is not terribly complex because we do it all the time the issues can be because we have to decide what we're going to take up how we're going to deal with it for the most part we've been very happy with the agricultural exchange which makes sense. They can grow things we can't grow. Um, we've been happy with the oil and energy sector for the most part. Now the focus is on manufacturing. So let me ask you a question. Does Washington know that we renegotiate NAFTA every year? <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are people that know this. Um, I'm, I'm not going to assert that everybody in the Trump administration is aware of it, um, but uh, they will be soon. Like I said, it's been an educating process. It's just, you know, somebody sat down and explained what the Export-Import Bank did, and, and Trump was quite astonished and thought, what a good idea. <laughs> so, it's like, so, you know, there, there just comes a point where, you know, everything is kind of new. Uh, he admitted a few weeks back that, wow, this is harder than I thought. Um, so, you know. We'll, we'll, uh, we just have to be patient. <laughs> this is like on-the-job training. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of put it in the context of, of, you know, right now we're watching all the NFL teams with their rookie quarterbacks, and these kids are all very confident they did very well until the very first time they encounter the NFL, at which point they're flat on their back going, holy cow. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's, there's a learning curve. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I think I was bigger than I ever saw in my whole life. <laughs> exactly, and he runs faster than I do. It's like, what the heck is that? <laughs> well, the last thing, Chris, I want to ask you, because this always comes up, and it's become uh, a, a sad buzz word or buzz phrase that keeps repeating over and over. And by the end of this year, it's probably going to be one of those words that they say we're never going to use. <laughs> oh yes, headwinds. Yeah, I know. You know, it's it's like economists are desperately trying to find something that people can relate to, and it's like, you know, I don't know why something that affected clipper ships is going to be something that people would relate to, but you know, it's just kind of a, a shorthand of saying that there are inhibitions, there are things that 
are going to make change difficult. I mean, right now, the biggest concern is that we're realizing how complicated changing things that the government does can be. I mean, we're all for regulatory reform, but then we realize that most of these regulations were imposed by the courts, and you can't change them without going back to court. We're all very enthusiastic about infrastructure until we realize that it's going to cost a trillion dollars, and, well, we don't really have it. And you start to look at the players. I mean, on one side, you've got Mick Mulvaney, who's now the head of Office of Management and Budget. He was the Tea Party guy from South Carolina who is deaf on any spending. And his nemesis is the Transportation Secretary, Elaine Chow, whose husband is Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. And so you can just see that battle. You know, McConnell's going to sidle up to Mulvaney and say, son, don't irritate my wife. Um, <laughs> so you're, you're just going to have lots of these these battles which have to be played out. And as they get played out, the outcomes will change and predictions will change. And, and this is why economists are so thankful for meteorologists because they make us look good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we appreciate you being with us again, Chris, on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us and giving us your insights. You're so welcome. Talk to you later. (laughs) Bye. All right. You take care. So, uh, Tim, next week's show. Uh, we have Aaron Stebner from ADAPT, the Alliance for the Development of Additive Processing Technologies. They talk about the role of additive metals in manufacturing and the challenges that companies face in adopting additive metals manufacturing into their uh, programs. We also have uh, Adam Scott from GNA Partners, a professional employee organization that provides human resource issues and back-end uh, back, back end office issues that deal with workman's comp, payroll, 401k, and safety programs and such. Uh, and they, they have been around now for quite a while. And uh, uh, we had uh, a couple of uh, conversations with them prior to showtime. And I think it's something that the companies that are looking to hire people and are having problems hiring people – to take a look at this uh, uh, GNA Partners, the uh, professional employee organization, because you don't have to hire them. You wind up leasing employees, and uh, it's not overly expensive, and uh, you get what you need uh, in terms of your back-end uh, office uh, requirements. So uh, that should be a really a terrific show, and I hand off the, the, uh, the show to you now. Well, thanks, Lou. We appreciate everyone listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio. As always, you can find all of our previous shows at nfgtalkradio.com. We hope that you'll go there and listen to those, and we appreciate you listening to today's show, and we look forward to having you with us again next week. Thanks again for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.